Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. At this time, I'm going to invite Kitty Solto to come forward to share with us uh, a core moment and about how we can be of assistance. Good morning. Uh, United. That's not a word we hear very often these days. But we are United Methodists, which means that we're not just one church on the corner in Westlake Village. We are part of the United Methodist Church, which means that we're part of something that reaches around the world. This unity is never more evident than today, because today United Methodist Churches everywhere are lifting up the work we do together through the United Methodist Committee on Relief. This is UMCOR Sunday. It was formerly known as One Great Hour of Sharing. UMCOR is not they, it is we. Because UMCOR is there, we can be there too when an earthquake strikes on the other side of the world. Because UMCOR is there, we are all there when floods devastate the other side of our country. UMCOR acts as first responders when disaster strikes anywhere in the world. Earthquake, flood, fire, disease, or famine. UMCOR also stays when other groups leave and helps those in need to rebuild and recover. Locally, our MA6 churches have members who have trained for emergency response teams. And we have sent work teams to places like Louisiana and Oklahoma, and we have another team going this summer to help with fire rebuilding in Northern California. So UMCOR is truly all of us working together. Your gifts today go on UMCOR Sunday go to support the administrative cause, costs of UMCOR. When these costs are taken care of up front, then when disaster strikes, UMCOR is able to use 100% of designated donations for that specific cause. So yes, we are united. The United Methodist Church is doing the work of Christ in every corner of the world. I hope you can find one of these special envelopes either in your bulletin or if not, look on the floor because <laughs> they fall everywhere and designate your gift given today to UNCOR. Thank you very much. After the death of Moses, God spoke to Joshua, telling him that he would now lead the Israelites across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. God gave Joshua many assurances that he would always be there for him. Our anthem today is based on the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, in which God says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord. 
sing a song with words that appear in the Bible many, many times. These familiar words, sometimes called the golden rule, teach us that we should love your neighbor as yourself. And may we stand now to sing our hymn of celebration number 297, Beneath the Cross of Jesus.
At this time, I would invite the ushers to come forward to wait upon us for our gifts, tithes, and offerings. Now, holy God, bless these, our blessings of this we give from heart and hand. 
and unto you, O God, now use them in this world, this community, and through this church for Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from St. John, chapter 19, verses 28 to 37. After this, when Jesus knew that, it, that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because the Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the others who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may also believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so the scripture might be fulfilled. None of the bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look at the one whom they have pierced. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be unto God. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise for the reading of your word that continues to touch hearts and lives. May we have ears to hear and a willingness to receive that our lives might be forever transformed. We give you thanks and praise as we continue in the season of Lent, as we look towards the cross that we might grow closer to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. It's often been said, and maybe you've heard it, that in recent times, more pictures have been taken than at any point in the history of, of uh, the world. <laughs> I was looking online to kind of look up numbers, and in 2014, it was estimated that on a daily basis, there were 1.8 billion pictures uploaded to media sites, to social media sites. So over the course of the year, that's about 657 billion pictures uploaded to social media. At the 8 o'clock service, they were commenting how Gary had his fair share added to that number. <laughs> In 2017, estimates are that there's going to be upwards of 1.5 and 2 trillion pictures added to social media sites. That's astounding. I can't even imagine that. But with that many pictures, have you ever stopped to think about how many of those pictures you might be in today? uploads them on our Facebook page later, now you can say you're in at least one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Kidding aside, since pictures have, you know, happen at random chances, especially with selfies, people take pictures all the time. We might be caught unaware in, in people's pictures, continuing to show up in random people's pictures, or who knows who might be in ours if you ever stop to think about it. 
It's like the story of Alex and Donna Lutsinis, and I'm sorry if I butcher their last name. But they fell in love at work one day. However, they always felt that fate played a role in them getting together. Days before their wedding, Alex was looking through some photos at, at his fiancée Donna's house, and he, he found some childhood pictures, and as he looked through them, he was both amazed and shocked to find one where she was about five years old, and she was at Disney World posing for a picture with her family. And she was shocked because, it, he was shocked because in that picture, there is, uh, as you look to the background, there was his father pushing a stroller in the background of that picture, and sure enough, in the stroller was Alex. So to make sure that it was true, they rushed home, looked at his mom's pictures of that same day, and lo and behold, same, same time, same place, in Disney World in Florida, where Alex and Donna just happened to be in the same picture. What made it even cooler was Alex was from Canada, Donna was from Florida, and here they were, 20 years after that picture was taken, getting ready to get married. It's with this idea of seemingly random people appearing in the background of a snapshot that we come and continue at the foot of the cross in our fourth week of Lent. You know, the first week we looked at the soldiers and the indifference that they seemed as they went about their business to the events unfolding before them. The second week we looked at the collective crowd and their responses to the cross, whether apathy or anger or affection. Last week, we looked at Mary and John as we saw the heart of a mom for her son and the heart of a savior for his mother. Today, we look at individuals who can, we can only assume would have been in the crowd because their names and their stories have not been passed on through the ages. And when I think about the, the, those nameless, those faceless people, I think of it kind of like a movie um, for a moment. And if you'll allow me to, if you think of it from a movie... I don't know about you, but when I go to movies, I tend to sit through the closing credits. You're up to that very last scene. I used to leave immediately, but I've gotten in the habit of staying. And if you ever look at those credits, you always see, you know, you have the, the leading roles. You know, in this case, it would be Jesus, the soldiers, Mary, John, and others. And then you have the extras, kind of that nameless, uh, you have the, the crowd, those who just kind of show up in the background, filler, so to speak. And then you have the random people who show up in the credits. You know, man on phone, baby in carriage, woman walking dog, things like that. And these are the people who play a part in the story more than your average extra, but maybe don't have any lines to speak or any words to say, but they still have earned a place in the closing credits. And I think of these people as kind of those who appear as the random background in our snapshots. They're more than a blurry face in the crowd, their features are visible, and there's something distinct about them that catches our eyes. When you look at the picture, you know they're not the focal point, but you still notice them. These are the everyday Jewish citizens who had come to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, that yet were going to get far more than they expected, far more than they wanted, as they were making their way into Jerusalem. You know, it's the parents with children who are going to the temple, young and old, passing by, Merchants who were going to sell their wares. People from everyday walk of life gathered together in Jerusalem for the Passover. People not much different than you or me who were passing by and were drawn to look. It's kind of like if you've ever gone down the highway and you've seen a horrific crash. No matter how much you tell yourself you're not going to look. You know, we call them rubberneckers for a reason. You, know, you turn your head and you see what's going on. 
When we look at the narrative of the cross, it's easy to look at and to talk about the people that we know were there. The soldiers, the crowds, Mary, John, and others. And we can understand their role. Yet one of the countless unknown individuals who happened to be there just at that moment. Will we remember the average person who had no apparent connection to that day yet was still caught up in the events as they unfolded? Though their stories will never be known, it's vital to remember them, even though we know nothing about each person. Because I think in a lot of ways we can relate to them. You know, we know that the crucifixion happened 2,000 years ago. And there's been lots of history and lots of scholarship and academics that shape our theology and shape our understanding of the cross. And we talk about it all the time. But when we get past those things, when we look deeper beyond all of this heady stuff and look to the people who might have been there, as I said, we begin to see we're not really any different. In fact, we could easily put ourselves at the foot of the cross that day. And in some ways, I believe that we are that unknown face in the cross. And allow me to explain. You see, first, upon the cross, Jesus uttered the words, Father, forgive them. And though people have debated the meaning of these words throughout the centuries, and we have come up with different understandings of what that means, I believe that these words are spoken by Jesus as Messiah and Savior for all generations, not just for one brief moment in time. Jesus wasn't merely asking forgiveness for the people who were standing at the base of the cross that day, but asking for God's forgiveness to extend to all generations, past, present, and future. At that moment, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice, the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb. And through that sacrifice, we're told in Scripture that the temple curtain was torn in two, that no longer was it only the high priest that could go into God's presence, but all of humanity was invited, no longer separated from God's grace. The mediator of all humanity had offered his life even unto the cross that all might receive eternal life if they were willing to receive and believe in him. You know, it's a passage that we quote all the time. We all know it. We've learned it from our childhood. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. See, we know that through the cross and through these passages that there's no greater love to be shown than God offering himself on behalf of his creation that it could be restored to its former beauty, brought to wholeness apart from the effects of sin, that the old had passed away, that the new had come. Second, I believe because Jesus died for all humanity across the generations, that we must be willing to ask ourselves, what was our role at the cross that day? We know, obviously, we weren't alive 2,000 years ago. But what did our life in the 21st century have to do with a crucifixion 2,000 years ago. Jan Sorensen shared with me an illustration last week, and I apologize if I don't get it 100% correct. I looked up the account on the internet. I tried to find it on the web, and I couldn't find the specific account. But she shared it was an illustration from a Reader's Digest back in, I think she said, the 80s. And the illustration she shared with me was of a rabbi who looked at the crucifixion and the scene at the crucifixion. And as he looked upon it, the more he looked, the harder it became to stare. And he had to turn away and had to stop looking at it for a moment. Because the longer he looked, he began to see himself in that very crowd. As he looked upon the crucifixion and as he looked upon those who were there, he began to see within himself some of the worst things that he could imagine. 
and he didn't like what he saw. If we were to learn the names of the people there that day, would it change things within us? What if we became that nameless face in the crowd? People often say they would love to have been alive when Jesus was there. They would love to have seen him face to face, to meet him, to talk to him, to hear his teachings, to learn. Then it would be easier to believe, well, what if, just what if we were there at the cross that day? Would we believe? If we were there at that cross, would we begin to see our image appear alongside the soldier? Or standing out from the crowd, maybe cursing or crying, mocking or turning away? And as we saw ourselves, would we be shocked that we're there? Would we be heartbroken or maybe unmoved by the very thought of it? You know, I know Gary shared a song last week to close his sermon, but I wanted to share one as well. It's entitled The Hammer by Ray Bolts. The lyrics state, I was in the crowd that day that Jesus died. And as he hung upon the cross, his mother cried, I saw the crown of thorns he wore, the stripes upon his back, the water and the blood ran out, and the sky turned black. My mind was filled with anger, my heart was filled with shame. This man brought only healing, who could bring him pain? Why does it seem the strong always victimize the weak? And suddenly I found myself standing to my feet and I cried, who nailed him there? This child of peace and mercy, who nailed him there? Come and face me like a man. Who nailed him there? And the crowd began to mock me. So I cried, oh my God, I do not understand. Then I turned and saw the hammer in my hand. I'm just a Roman soldier, an ordinary man. I love my wife and children. I do the best I can. How could I have killed him? It must be someone else. There's got to be an answer. I just can't blame myself. And I cried, who nailed him there? This child of peace and mercy, who nailed him there? Come and face me like a man. Who nailed him there? I nailed him there. The child of peace and mercy, I nailed him there. I am the guilty man. I nailed him there with my sins and my transgressions. I cried, oh my God, now I understand. When I turned and saw the hammer in my hand, you see, 2,000 years after the fact, it's easy to forget our role that day. We've heard it said that God would die even for one, that Jesus would have gone to the cross even for one. When I think of the crucifixion, I liken it to God looking at a snapshot, that God sees the faces of those who are there. Though we might not know the names of every person present, God does. But the joy and the hope in it is that even in that, God's grace and mercy still flows. For we know it, it was his love, not the nails that held Jesus to the cross that day. So may we ever remember, and may we ever think about, what was our place? Where do we fit in the narrative of the cross? Amen. Amen. And so we come to the foot of the cross today as we celebrate this Holy Communion in Lent. And by these elements, remember Jesus upon the cross and remember his words that were given to those disciples and once more given to us as breaking the bread. And having blessed it, 
said, this is my body broken for you, for your sins and for the whole world. And likewise, the cup, saying, this is the cup of the forgiveness of your sins, for this is my blood that is shed for you. And so, O God, now we ask your blessing upon these elements of bread and wine, that we might receive them as we receive you, not gathering together here around this table because we've earned this or that we could be worthy enough for it or we could somehow pay for it, but simply to know that Christ Jesus was worthy. He was the one who paid the price at Calvary's cross. And so, O Lord, now we receive this, your blessing and your grace, and that we with angels and archangels, with all the hosts of heaven and earth, we do laud and magnify thy holy name, O God, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even Jesus Christ, our Savior, for he has come, and he has died but raised, and yet shall come again. Amen. As we invite the communion stewards and ushers to come forward to first receive, we would remind you that you do not have to be a Methodist to be at this table. You do not need to be a member of this church. All are welcome at the table of God, for it is large and welcomes everyone. We also do have gluten-free wafers. If you would desire that, please let that be known to the server, and they will get that for you. Please join us in singing the hymn in your black book, 
Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks, gathered together at the foot of the cross this day. And may the power of this Holy Communion touch each of our hearts, lives, and souls with the awakening understanding that in Jesus Christ we are truly blessed. And so now may this fulfill us and strengthen us to serve you, O God. For this we pray in the name of him who taught us that we might pray, even as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you stand as we join together in our prayer response, Shalom to you, as you find it in this morning's service. you to take a moment to reach out and take the hand of someone near you and as we gather hand in hand together will you just take a moment give that hand a little squeeze you know what that means don't you we're connected we're alive we are here for God and so now receive this his benediction as we receive the choral blessing we won't receive the choral blessing I need to go on vacation more often. <laughs> oh, so, so go ahead and fire me. <laughs> In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, get out of here. <laughs>